we're like a, a bucket with water flowing in. I like to say it's like, and the water flowing in is inflammation and there's a hole at the bottom and things are flowing out. But at some point, if too much water is flowing in, it overflows and our body just can't handle it. And that's what's going on right now. We're being exposed to toxin and toxin and toxin. And then at some point, we just can't handle it anymore. And then the regular virus that would have just caused a minor cold causes something severe or it turns into an allergy or autoimmune condition or whatever it is. Throughout the winter months, I don't feel like going anywhere. So home workouts are my BFF. Thankfully, I discovered Masa. Masa has a history that spans five decades of inspiring millions of people to move. Masa has hundreds of on-demand workouts and recoveries for everyone, new movers and athletes alike, 300 plus and growing. My podcast listeners get 30 days free on top of a 14-day trial with my very own promo code, Total Mom Sense 30. After 44 days, a subscription is just $9.99 per month. Workouts fit every schedule, whether you have 10, 30, or 60 minutes. And they're actually enjoyable, driven by music and amazing coaching. Masa's video library has workouts like dance, MMA, mind body, HIIT, and cycling. They've got work ins. Their word for recovery is work ins, like the DDES series, to offset our sedentary lives and 10 minute synergy experiences based in yoga and Pilates. I especially love strength training. These structured workouts improve fitness, a stronger physique, living better, feeling better, which means we're able to run around with our kids or grandkids and build better brain health and a can-do attitude. To learn more, log on to www.masa.net. And remember, use my promo code TOTALMOMSENSE30 to receive 30% off your subscription. What are you still doing here? Get moving. Hi, I'm Kanika, and you're listening to That's Total Mom Sense, the podcast, where I interview public figures on their life lessons and legacy. We are shaping society by raising our children to be the change makers of tomorrow. Quite frankly, parenting is the biggest responsibility and privilege on earth. Hey, what's up? I'm Kelly Rowland, and you're checking out That's Total Mom Sense. Hi, this is Chelsea Clinton, and my experience on That's Total Mom Sense was... Fantastic. It's me, Bobby Brown. Can't wait to share my story. Be sure to check out my other monthly series, What Matters Most with Maple, featuring my co-host Michael Perry, and hashtag Girl Dad Talk with Kimberly Wolf. Thank you to my distinguished guests, brand partners, community, and you for making this podcast possible. Episodes release every Thursday wherever you listen to podcasts. You can join my tribe by logging on to thatstotalmomsense.com and following me on Instagram at Kanika Chadda Gupta. Now let's dive into today's episode. In our post-COVID world as parents, we've become highly sensitized to illness and disease, be it new variants like Omicron and XBB 1.5, to common viruses resurfacing and creating a scare like RSV, and of course, influenza, the flu. Many of us have children who are on the spectrum. Autism is the fastest growing developmental disability in the world, increasing at a rate of 10 to 17% each year. As many as one out of 150 children is diagnosed with autism, and more than 1.5 million Americans have it. There is one leader in the medical world who is easing our fears, Dr. Joel Gator-Warsh. 
Dr. Gator reminds us of how important it is to go back to the basics from consuming real food, nothing processed, leading a healthy lifestyle, and even tapping into home remedies before turning to medicine. Dr. Joel Gator-Warsh is the leading pediatrician to the stars. Located in Beverly Hills, he's a respected holistic and integrative medicine specialist. Before taking care of famous babies and teens, he grew up in Toronto, Canada, where he was honored by the Canadian Institute of Health Research Master's Award. He was also an entrepreneur, voted Student of the Year in 2009. He moved to the U.S. where he began his career as an attending pediatrician at the Children's Hospital of Los Angeles, where he was honored as the George Donald Society Research Fellow. He is on staff at Cedars-Sinai Hospital, has published research in countless journals on childhood injuries and obesity, and is a faculty member of peds for You. Dr. Heater's wife is Sarah Intelligator, a Beverly Hills-based attorney with a holistic divorce and family law practice, and was honored as 10 best attorneys in California in 2017, and has even taught yoga for over 20 years. Dr. Gator was given the nickname Dr. Gator after marrying her, and it just stuck. Together, they have a three-year-old son, Eli. Dr. Gator, welcome to That's Total Mom Sense. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm so honored to chat with you, and I look forward to uh, chatting about kids' health today. So as kids, when we're asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? I feel like so many of us, including me, said pediatrician, but not everyone is committed to go down that path and, you know, study for years on end. So what made you actually follow through and become a pediatrician? I always loved science in high school, undergrad, and I wanted to do something with that. And I also just fell in love with working with kids. I used to, you know, being Canadian, I used to coach hockey, uh, I coached my brother's team. And, and I just fell in love with with working with kids and helping kids. And I did summer camps and I coached baseball too. And and when I went to med school, it was always to become a pediatrician. I always found that, you know, if you can get to kids early, then you can prevent a lifetime of, of illness and kids listen and, and get better where adults don't necessarily always do that. So, you know, to me, it was always much more enjoyable to work with kids. And so that's, that's why I went to pediatrics. You know, are there any tips that you have for the season? I feel like the winter season, because we're cooped up, all these things are going around much faster. So any... Yeah, yeah. I, well, I, I get the question a lot of, of why, you know, why is this happening? Why are we getting so many more viruses than usual? We don't exactly know for sure. My, my theory is that, you know, with the last couple of years, we haven't been around as many people. And so these viruses didn't really get to circulate like they usually do. So then there's a lot lower immunity in the in the community, a lot of a lot of kids didn't get say, exposed to RSV. So if 90% of kids are supposed to get it or usually get it between zero and two, and none of them got it, then now you have all the kids getting it between zero and four. And then also, you know, we're not eating as well, we're not getting the exercise that we need, we're not sleeping as well, we're not focusing on these things. And we know from research from 50 to 100 years ago that when they put viruses in people's nose, I don't know who was volunteering for these studies, but you know, the people that didn't sleep as well, or the people that were more stressed out, they were much more likely to get sick. We know this. And everybody knows this intuitively. Like you had a test, you know, and you're like, right after that test, then you get sick, right? Or you have some sort of stressful event, a holiday, and then right after that, you get sick. Why? Why? Because your body is dealing with all the other stuff. So that is how our bodies work. And because we're not treating them very well, then there's a lot less of a capacity to deal with viruses, infections, whatever it may be. And we're getting sicker and sicker. And, and that is how things work. Our body 
we're like a, a bucket with water flowing in. I like to say it's like, and the water flowing in is inflammation and there's a hole at the bottom and things are flowing out. But at some point, if too much water is flowing in, it overflows and our body just can't handle it. And that's what's going on right now. We're being exposed to toxin and toxin and toxin. And then at some point, we just can't handle it anymore. And then the regular virus that would have just caused a minor cold causes something severe or it turns into an allergy or autoimmune condition or whatever it is. Right. We're, we're surrounded by more and more chemicals. We don't have the reserve that we used to have. I mean, we're breathing in air that has chemicals in it. We're drinking water um, that has chemicals in it. Our food are, is covered in chemicals. It's sprayed in chemicals. It's preserved with chemicals. It's not even real food half the time. I mean, we're, the food that we're eating, it's there's no nutrients in it. I mean, we're, we're destroying mm -hmm. the soil. We're using artificial products to create our, our produce. And then even at that, we're then eating things that are preserved. If you go to, I don't know, a farm or, or wherever, even outside your house, if you have a plant and you pick something off the plant, how long does it last for? <laughs> right? Well, like two, three, four, five days, maybe. So when are you getting your food? How many days or weeks after it was picked? The only way that's possible is if it's sprayed in stuff, right? I don't care what anybody says. It's got to be covered in something. It has to be sprayed. The, the thing took a world trip, you know, it was picked in some other country, flown across or, you know, shipped across. Then it went into your grocery store, sitting there for a couple of days, then goes to you. There's no possible way that something wasn't done with it, even if yeah. you don't realize it. You know, maybe it says organic on it, but organic just means it wasn't sprayed in pesticides. Doesn't mean right. it wasn't coated with other things. You will go to, I don't know, Whole Foods and you read the signs if you look really closely and it's like, oh, these apples are, you know, wax covered, whatever. Well, you think they're just shiny? No, <laughs> these things are covered in wax so they preserve them, right? You're Even when you think you're eating healthy, you're eating chemicals. So these are yeah. just things that we, we have to be mindful of. Doesn't mean you shouldn't eat an apple, but we're just constantly taking in toxins and chemicals. And so if we don't focus on minimizing them as much as possible, then why would we be surprised that every kid is sick and every adult is sick? Yeah, absolutely. And then, I mean, do you think that that's probably the, the biggest underlying cause for endemic problems like ADHD and, you know, lupus, Crohn's disease, autoimmune issues, um, all of that in, in kids? It's like, it's the environmental factors more so than the genetics. Right? Yeah, I, I think that in my opinion, and, and based on what, what I think and what I've seen, the decrease of the nutrients that we're taking in, in terms of our food and the increase in chemicals, those two things together, to me, are the biggest factor in terms of the very rapid increase and rise in most of these things. Absolutely, some genetics are involved. There are certainly some diseases that you get which have nothing to do with the environment or completely genetic, so that there's no question about that. You know, one thing that you do so well on your Instagram is provide us these tips to make these very easy changes. Around Halloween, you wrote, will I let my child eat all the Halloween candy, you ask? Heck no, I prefer him healthy. Even at three, he knows it's junk. You know, prepare them before going trick-or-treating, have a plan on what you're going to do with the candy. Don't let them go out on an empty stomach, give them choices on which ones they do want to eat. And you even provided alternatives. Twix, there's another type of caramel and peanut butter bar that tastes very similar. Or Reese's, you can go for actually Justin's peanut butter cups. And instead of Skittles, there's Giggles. And these are brands that I've never seen before, but you broke it down as to how much artificial flavoring and petrochemicals are in these candies and why it behooves us to not actually by the alternative. We, we can make healthy choices and stop the bleeding. One of the biggest issues out there is the extremes. Everything is so 
divisive these days. It's extremes like do it or don't do it. This is the only way to do it. But that's not the reality of parenting. And that's not the reality of the world. There's so huge of a middle ground. And there's so many things that we can do. And, and I hear a lot of, oh, you know, it's either too expensive or it takes too much time. You know, those are the biggest things that we hear, which certainly that can be true sometimes. But we have to recognize that, look, our health is a disaster and we have to make these things a priority. And there are some simple things that we can do. And you don't have to go from children who are eating Twix or potato chips to eating broccoli every day. Like it's it's not it's not going to be like that, right? There, There's a middle ground there and we can start to work our way towards making some healthier choices. And we do want them to maybe eat the broccoli, but you know, we're not making those swaps. You can take, you can get a healthier chip. You can decrease the snacks that they're they're getting. But we also have to remember that we are parents and we have to give ourselves permission to be parents. Many generations ago were much more strict on children. And I think there was a movement towards moving the other way and kind of gentle parenting movement. And so maybe we've gone even too far that way. And now there's, I hope, and I, I'm seeing like a little bit more push to the middle, which is the way it should be, right? Most things should be in the middle and it should be a balance. And you want to have some gentle parenting, but not be too, too permissive. And sometimes we, I, I certainly hear this where, where parents will post about questions about giving their, you know, three-year-old a, a candy bar like that. And it's, why does a three-year-old need to be exposed to a Skittles or something? And they don't ever need to have that. Yes. When they're older and they're exposed to other kids, they, they might have it every now and again at a birthday party or, or whatever. But when they're like three years old, they're only eating your food. And, you know, you'd be surprised. Um, so I have five-year-old twins and a four-year-old. When we were shopping around the holidays, we came across uh, the cereal aisle. And, you know, my kids are, they have like Kashi and Cascadian farms. So their cereal boxes are not fun or colorful at all. But we know about the Roundup. And so we go all organic with our, with our cereal. Uh, my son, Chris sees a cap and crunch box and it's red and green, like Christmas themed. And he was like, Ooh, mama, can we have that? You know, his twin sister chimes in and she's like, no, Chris, it's not organic. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Like, that's Extra awesome. points for you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know what? They moved on. I just kept the mm -hmm. cart moving and they were like, on to the next. I wanted you to take us through kind of the different phases of a child's life and like maybe one piece of advice you'd want to give the parents about that. So when you're a parent of newborns, you know, what do you as a pediatrician want us to really be mindful of? I would start even before that, I would say, because I, I think you know, even as a pediatrician, this is I'm working on a book right now and it's like, you know, trying to go back and we're starting from from baby, but I always want to be like, okay, but we need to start before that. Right. And that's the, wow. the pediatrician, right? It's like, okay, this is great. But like, yes, yeah, so we get the baby from zero. Their health matters before that. Yeah. Point, right? right. But certainly when you are pregnant, then things are going through your body. They're going to the baby and the environmental working group did a study I don't remember, a few years ago, 10, 15 years ago. And they were looking at the chemicals in the cord blood, right. And they found couple hundred chemicals that are in cord blood, right? So all of these things matter. And that's just to say that your choices when you're pregnant, your choices before you're pregnant, all of these things affect your baby. Um, and why wouldn't they, if they're exposed to a very high level of, let's say, you know, what we would, what we would know, like, oh, a drug, like you're, you're taking heroin or something or, or cocaine, then these things affect the baby, right? We know this. And that's why we're like, okay, don't drink a lot of alcohol. Don't do a lot of drugs, especially when you're pregnant, right? Um, because they can affect the baby. But but we don't think about, oh, if we're exposed to lead or we're exposed to aluminum or we're exposed to whatever other chemical consistently, then maybe some of that goes to your baby or maybe at least some of that affects you, which then affects your baby or the blood flow that they're getting or whatever. So if you can, 
um, having time and being at home with the baby is, is really one of the biggest factors in that first couple, first couple of weeks, especially babies are very vulnerable in those first month or two. You could be going to the hospital if you even get a cold or anything with a fever, really, I was going to send you to the, the hospital in the first couple of months. So the, the more you can be home and, and, and isolated from the virus, especially around toddlers and things like that, I think that's a good thing, especially right now with everybody mm-hmm. being sick to just minimize exposure is always helpful. So I think that's, you know, if you're talking about like a newborn, something we can do to stay healthy, that's really important for toddlers, the younger yeah. kids, let's say, so let's say t- like six months. So starting with food, when you'd be you know, starting around then to mm-hmm. me, one of the biggest things that you can do around that age is just introducing them to healthy food and real food. There's absolutely no need to introduce them to any sort of chemicals or sugar or anything with preservatives. Just get real food, mush it up, give it to them, you know, baby led weaning, whatever it is you want to do. Try to minimize giving them packages and pouches and all these other things. Even if it's a healthy pouch, there's still stuff in there. It's a pouch, <laughs> you know, it's, it's yeah. touching a pouch and it is a pouch. So, you know, not to say that you can never do it, but, but don't assume that those things are healthy. The only thing that, you know, that's going to be healthy ish is something you prepare yourself. You know, exactly what's in there, you know, to whatever degree you could know it. And that's going to be the best thing for your, your children and just start them off with that. They don't need anything more than that for the first, you know, few months or, or, or years. It's just food that you prepare. Let's see where we go next. So toddlers, I mean, again, so like just getting back to the basics. So I call it the seeds of health stress, environment and toxins, exercise, diet and sleep. So just really starting to set those foundations for the child. And and especially I think the two big ones at that age would be like we talked about already diet and toxins. So just minimizing what they're exposed to in terms of chemical cleaners. Think about the clothes that you're buying for them. What detergents are you using? What products are you putting on their skin? What products are you using around your home? What What's in your home? Are there plants in there? What kind of uh, like Wi-Fi signals or where, where is the router? Is it beside their room? You know, the, all these things, you know, could potentially matter for their health long-term. So just thinking about the setup of where we spend the most of our time and then what you can do to make those changes. And also again, getting them healthy food. That's, that's, that's not going to change throughout any age, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then for the older kids, I would say social media and, and phones and, and in general screen time, just trying to minimize screen time that's not evolving in, in, in schoolwork. Um, I think social media is a huge harm these days for, for kids and, and teens, and we're on it way too much. So I, I think we really need to minimize exposure to that, especially at nighttime for sleep. Definitely don't want to be on it in the middle of the night. Definitely don't want phones in their room overnight. I mean, they need their sleep and and everything on there is stressful these days. And so just minimizing that exposure to the stress is a good thing. And there are several countries that are starting to lock social media apps in the night, which I don't even think would be a a terrible idea to do here, you know, after 10 o'clock or whatever, because it's always one of those things where like, oh, but my friends are on and I'm going to miss something or whatever. But like, you're not missing anything at like 11 p.m. on on Instagram. I'm sorry. (laughs) You don't need it. You need to sleep. So I, I think that that we... We just are going to have to get tougher on on social media with kids. I know that they want it and I'm not a big proponent of like all or nothing. I I think if it's out there, it's something that, you know, we may have to expose them to at some point, but I think you can minimize it. You can delay it as much as you possibly can. And you certainly shouldn't have it like the dinner table or when you're having family time or when they're sleeping. There's a saying, necessity is the mother of invention. Well, it's also the mother of mommy makeup. After being a professional makeup artist for over 20 years, Deborah Rubin Roberts had the privilege to work for and with some of the best brands and talent 
in the beauty industry, but it was after becoming a mom that was the catalyst for Deborah to develop her own makeup line, Mommy Makeup, Clean Beauty for Busy Women. She figured if she needed clean cosmetics that were fast and easy to use and gave makeup artist quality results, surely other women did too. The makeup is multitasking, so it saves time, money, and clutter. Talc-free, so not drying. Paraben-free, which won't upset your hormones. Cruelty-free, so no animal testing and certified with PETA's Beauty Without Bunnies program. Non-comedogenic, won't clog pores. Allergy-tested to help prevent a reaction. And made in the USA, so you know that the ingredients are local and support our nation's economy. When you log on to the website, mommymakeup.com, click on free color consultation. Simply upload a no makeup selfie and the team will send you back a comprehensive email advising which products and colors best suit your skin tone. It takes the guesswork and swatching out of the process. I especially love the tinted brow gel in Warm Brunette, which has natural fibers to add fullness to my brows and the Triple Sticks lipstick in Tess a beautiful berry hue, which I also put on my cheeks for a natural hint of color. Everything Mommy Makeup does will save you time and money, yet will still make you feel and look the best. Log on to mommymakeup.com and take your free consult to get started. Use my code MOMSENSE, M-O-M-S-E-N-S-E, for 20% off your first order. Have fun and feel good about makeup again something that sets you apart. One, you're this, you know, maverick doctor who has a social media account and is writing your own, literally on a whiteboard, writing your own advice for us, you know, patients to consume. But secondly, you, you know, believe in, you know, going back to the basics and, and opting for all things natural. I'm not against Western medicine at all. And I think this is where the biggest issue is online is that there's such a divide between like natural and Western, but there should not be. We should just be doing the best thing on any day for the patient. And sometimes that's a natural thing and sometimes that's a medical thing. And we have amazing cures, right? And this is where, you know, you get into that woo-woo world and it's like, oh, you know, we shouldn't, we shouldn't do any medication, but we can cure cancer sometimes. Yeah, now. You can save your life. You know, you have a pneumonia. You're probably pretty happy. You have an antibiotic or you can get an MRI to look, you know, inside your brain or things like that. Like we can do magical things with modern medicine. And that to me, it is magic. And I don't have any problem prescribing an antibiotic when we need it or a steroid when we need it, but that's not what's happening in medicine today. You go to the urgent care and you know, you, you're like, Oh, my ear hurts a little bit. Okay. Here's an antibiotic. Oh, I have a little bit of a cough. Oh, here's an <laughs> antibiotic. It's like, we need to not give medicines for something that's going to make it worse for you. You're you're not treating a virus. You're actually killing the good bacteria and then probably making you more susceptible to getting sick even more. And we're also, you know, antibiotic stewardship. We're, we're ruining the antibiotics that we have for when we actually need them in the future. You know, we have a recent antibiotic shortage and a fever reducer like Tylenol Motrin shortage. Well, why is that? Because there's so many viruses that have been going around and we're just so quick to give medications. Yeah, there probably is a little bit more need for it, but look what happens when we have a, a huge increase of, of viruses. And they're just medications like candy, and then we run out of it. And then the people that actually need it can't get it. Yes. Right? That, that's a disaster. And that's where we are. And that, that needs to stop. There needs to be you know coming together of 
the minds and saying like, okay, well, what is great in natural medicine? What could we use? And then let's not shun modern medicine either. And some, you know, come into the middle somewhere, but right now it's like, it just gets farther and farther apart and people just angry at each other about everything. I want to get into just this influx of of viruses, because Mm -hmm. I think that is something that all parents have top of mind. Um, COVID is like a modern day plague. Did you ever think this would happen? If you look back at history, there always is something. So from an epidemiologic standpoint, yeah, it makes sense that we would have some sort of epidemic at some point. I We never really had it in our lifetimes. We had little ones, I guess, you know, kind of here or there, but nothing mm-hmm. that really rose to the level of what happened. So I, I don't I don't think anyone was prepared for it because we haven't really experienced anything like this in our, our lifetime. But these things were always around. I mean, tens of thousands of people die every year from the flu. That was always true. That's not new. Babies and, and kids always have died of RSV. That's not new either. It's always tragic, but it's not new the last couple of years with COVID that viruses have been in the news and the media and in our minds so much, then this is something that's kind of continued on as COVID's kind of decreased somewhat in, in the news and media that they've replaced it with some of these other things. And that has been something that's really frustrated me because of the way it's been reported and the fear that it's induced in parents. It's important to be aware, right? It's important to be aware of what can happen if you get RSV, what can happen if you get the flu, what could happen if you get strep throat, strep throat. You need to know what symptoms to look out for because it can get severe, right? RSV can be extremely severe in a newborn baby to the point where they put them in the hospital or even die, but it's not common. Most kids get something like RSV and have a little cold and 90% of kids before two get RSV. So not 90% of kids are going to the hospital with something severe. And then and they get better, or you have a bad cough or, or whatever. But that's always been the way that it is. But because we're talking about it more, then it's causing more anxiety and fear in parents, as opposed to if the wording was more realistic, I would say, in terms of we're seeing more this year. This is what you should watch for. This is when you should be worried. This is who should be worried. And other than that, you know, in general, most of the time it's going to be fine, but just keep an eye out. If you need to go see your doctor, see your doctor, like that's the way that it should be put. But instead it's like mm-hmm. super increase in this and this, we're having a triple demic. This is going on. And it just fear, 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 fear in a population of people that are already past their fear limits. <laughs> and, and so I, I think we just need to be a little bit more mindful of the way that we're saying things, but it's tough because with the way that we have the news and social media and, the, and news in general, it's you need to get people to click on it. So you need to have something that's more hyperbolic and scary and that's what works. And they know that. And so for better or worse, we're seeing more of that as opposed to, you know, a title like more cases of RSV, here's when to worry, but it's much less likely for you to click on it than RSV surge. Uh, you need to, kids are dying, right? Like it's, it's, it's just the way that it's worded. And then, you know, half the time people don't even read the article and realize that it's actually not, not so bad. I wanted to just hear your take on Eastern medicine a little bit and how, you know, um, that's something that you incorporate into your practice, whether it's Ayurveda or, you know, other traditions from the East. When we're thinking about modern medicine or Western medicine, a lot of what we do is here are the symptoms, we give it a name, and then we have a treatment for that, like a medication. So you have a rash, you do a steroid, you have a a cough, it's a a pneumonia, you give an antibiotic, where you could have some pain, let's say on your bottom and you can give a pain medicine, but if you're sitting on a nail, then unless you get rid of the nail, the Tylenol is not going to make it better. Right. And and I think that's what we don't do so well in modern medicine because we're so compartmentalized when it comes to health in terms of, you you see your doctor for two minutes, that's all they have. They can, you know, get in there, get out. You have a cardiologist and a 
for your heart and a, a neurologist for your brain. And, and I think that's good to some degree because you get to be super specialized and that's really good for certain things. But we forget about the whole person and there's nobody really there to take a step back and to be like, well, maybe your diet's not the best. They're not going to spend an hour with you going through your diet. And what are you eating every day? What could you do to be eating better? Oh, you're not getting enough exercise. Well, we, let's get you in the gym and let's get you playing soccer, whatever it is. You know, there's nobody that's kind of bringing it all together. Whereas yeah. in, in a lot of the you know Eastern philosophies or just natural medicine in general, they're, they spend more time. They spend more time. They spend more time with discussion. They spend more time looking at the whole person and focusing on the foundation. Like we talk about food, diet, exercise, sleep, stress, you know, whether you're talking about Chinese medicine and like acupuncture, acupressure, all these things that they're just whole body systems as opposed to very specific treatments. And, and that is what I try to incorporate as much as I can, or just at least in the thinking process of, you know, yeah, if you have a rash, you still might need a medication, but if it keeps coming back, well, let's think about why not just keep giving a steroid, but you know, is there something in your diet that we should be exploring? And it's just a, a mindset that comes out of, of functional medicine, which is looking at at root cause. And when I went to the first course that I ever took on functional medicine, I left and I was like, why was I never taught this? Like, it's so basic yeah. and common sense to think about the root cause of something, but we just spend so much time in medicine on treatments, which is important. I mean, you need to know how to identify something serious and then how to treat it, but there's something that's kind of lost in okay. the training and I think that's because we were so worried about disease hundreds of years ago, because that's what killed everybody. And yeah. then that's how medical school and medical training and health was, was kind of developed. And then, you know, we got much better at that and we got treatments for that and we have sanitation and we, you know, we're just not seeing that as often. I mean, COVID notwithstanding, but it's just not as, as big of an issue as some of the chronic disease things have become but medicine never really spent the time teaching us nutrition. Medicine is important and we need it. And every part of it is super important and actually very useful. But when you have 50 plus percent of the population with a chronic disease, then we need a system that could address that also. So the Western medicine stuff is important, but it's not really doing a good job, I think, at the other stuff. And I don't know, we need some sort of new system, whether it's like, my theory is like something like a dentist, you know, where you go in and, and you have your hygienist that kind of does the whole thing before. And then the dentist after, you know, does the actual full check. So like, maybe you have to go into your doctor and you see a nutritionist for 30 minutes. And then you like have yes. an exercise counselor for 20 minutes. I don't know, whatever it's going to be to be set up in that way. But we, we can't expect doctors probably to spend an hour with every patient. It's probably not realistic, but there has to be some sort of system to identify that that stuff's important because 20, 30, 40, whatever percent of people are obese now. I mean, there's a whole report coming out right now about children and obesity and changing up. And it's like 20, I don't know what, what, the, what the latest numbers are. It keeps changing and going up, but we can't just throw a magic pill to fix this stuff. It's, these are, these are complex problems that are, some of them are at the societal level, some of them at the individual level, but we need to come together and say that this is not okay. We have to change things and we have to change it from societal level and the personal level. And we're never going to do that if we just keep saying, oh, well, here's a pill. I wanted to transition into your fatherhood experience. Mm -hmm. What was it like when you saw your baby and we're holding you know, Eli in your arms and we're like, wow, I'm a dad now. Nothing prepares you to be 
a parent. There's no such thing. I mean, people are like, oh, it must be great to be a pediatrician. I'm like, yeah, a little bit. It's good because you know some of the medical stuff. Maybe I'm not so worried about certain things, but nothing prepares you for the the fears and the joys and the you know seeing them grow up. So it's it's just an amazing, magical thing. And and, and I think that you know, to answer the question people ask, does being a pediatrician get you ready? No, no, it does not. We're in the same place as you. We're in the same place. All the things, you still have the same worries. If anything, a lot of doctors worry more, right? Then you, you know all the bad things. So you're more <laughs> So don't just assume because we're a pediatrician that we're like more prepared to be a dad. It's not true. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. I'm <laughs> to hear that. With uh, Sarah being a yoga teacher, um, an experienced, uh, you know, in, in yoga, is that something that you all do together? Is there anything that you feel like, you know, you're exposing your kid too early on, that's going to set him up for his life? Yeah. I, I mean, I think exercise in general, you know, I, I, we definitely go on lots of walks. We're always going outside. We're moving around. We do Pilates together sometimes, sometimes yoga, all, all sorts of, you know, different things. So I think he's seeing that priority of, of health. I mean, we, we cook pretty much every meal, except if we go on the weekend. So we're cooking almost everything every day. He pretty much only eats that. And oh, he, he helps with, preparing food. He learns about food. We talk about it. So it's, I think it's an educational standpoint of an understanding about those things. And then just seeing us, you know, walk the walk, I guess, and going to exercise and, and doing those things. I think that that's important because you can't expect your kid to do it. If, if you're not doing it, you can't expect them to be healthy. If you're not at least somewhat doing it right. You can't expect them to not eat an Oreo cookie if you're eating it in the house. Right. So I think it's just about living that lifestyle. It's not about you know, pretending it's about setting up your house, setting up your life in a way that's quote unquote healthy in terms of exercise and eating healthy. And then they'll just see it and they'll pick it up and they'll learn about it. And it's not something weird. It's just like you said, like, oh, you, you don't eat organic. It's not like you specifically taught them to say that. It's like, this is how we eat because this is healthier for you and you don't want to get sick. And you put it in terms that they understand, but you know, then it's, it's funny and it's cute when you know, a three-year-old or something says that, but, but it's, you're not teaching them. You're like just living and they're learning, you know, and, and they're, I guess you're teaching them to some degree, but, but not really, right. We're not trying to teach them like eat this versus this. Cause you want them to just, that's what they are. Would you say you're a better physician now that you're a dad? Mm -hmm. I think so. I think you're more empathetic. You'd certainly get the stresses a little bit more of parents. And when you're a doctor, you are not on the other side but when you're a parent, you're on the other side. So when your kid starts to get sick and you start thinking like, well, let's COVID is like, Oh, your, your kid's getting sick and they have a sniff. Like, is this COVID? Is it going to be severe? Is it, you know, you start thinking about all those things, right? COVID or not COVID, whatever is RSV. You start thinking about all those things. And, and that makes you understand what a parent's fears are. And when they're messaging you, you know, for something that you would maybe otherwise deem as silly or like not super severe, but you can understand why they might think it's severe based on going through it and understanding how you feel when something, you know, first pops up. So I think that is really helpful for, especially a pediatrician. I don't think you need to have kids per se, but I don't think it helps to be going through it. And I think the, your parents like it too. The families like it too. Cause they like, you get it, you know, what we're dealing with. So when they're dealing with the, uh, you know, being really tired or it's been a month and they haven't slept and they like, they know that you get it and right. you're coming from the same place. So I, I think that that helps to be, I don't know, living in the same world as them. Do you have a ritual or a practice that you could share with us that helps you kind of feel centered, um, especially around all the stressors that you get as a parent and as a doctor? Yeah, for me, it's just taking time away from all that. So, you know, every day at lunch, I try to go outside and, and go for a walk. 
I try to get home and spend time with my family as much as I can. So it's just really trying to minimize work as much as possible and compartmentalize. I do lots of social media, but I also try to spend lots of time away from the phone as much as I can. So to me, it's just really setting up my day in a way that's as stress-free as possible. And I've always just tried to minimize minimize the stress and to not worry about what I can't control anyways. And then really just exercise whenever I'm feeling a little stressed and just you know, getting on the bike for a little bit or going for a walk, that seems to really help me. And then where can, you know, my audience find you, follow you? Best places would be either on Instagram, Dr. Joel Gator, or my website, which is raisingamazingplus.com. Oh, Dr. Gator, you are incredible. Thank you so much for sharing all your insights with us and your ongoing work. We're really, really grateful to you. Thank you. And thank you for everything that you do as well. We really appreciate you having me on. Thank you again to Dr. Joel Gator-Warsh for joining me today. It was such an insightful chat, and I'm so glad we covered so much ground around kids' health and how he's really changing the game with integrative medicine because we shouldn't just rely on allopathic remedies. There are other things to consider, and there's no substitute for making sure that our kids' nutrition and their dietary needs and their physical and mental health are all up to the mark. And that's what really allows for a healthy, happy child. If you enjoyed my interview with Dr. Gator, then you are absolutely going to love that every month we are doing an IG live where we're fielding questions from all of you. He already addresses parents' concerns one-on-one, but this is a way to introduce my audience to his practice and his world. And so if you have any questions at all related to your kid's health, he is there to provide the answers. And so follow us on Instagram. My handle is at Kanika Chada Gupta and his is at Dr. Joel Gator. And there you'll see that we will post when we're doing the lives and we'll even have questions asked and polls asked beforehand so you can get into it and and engage and join us. I think that's what's going to be so fun is that you get to have your queries answered in real time. As always, definitely rate, review, and subscribe to That's Total Mom Sense so you never miss a show. Episodes drop every Thursday, and they play out on all the podcast players. You can write to me at thatstotalmomsense at gmail.com if you have ideas for show topics or guests you can't wait to have on the show. Thank you for being in my tribe. And remember, always trust your mom sense and dad sense. Stay strong, super parents. See you soon. That's total mom sense.